0: Thank you, Jordan. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. My name's uh, Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm I'm the new guy. Uh, It's a privilege to be back preaching at Night Church. I don't think I've preached here for about five years, uh, since I was a student here uh, about five, six years ago. So a privilege to be opening up God's Word. Please make sure you've got the Bible there in front of you. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at this last part of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we we pray that you'll help us this evening, that as we hear your word, having heard that word with an honest and good heart, we ask that you may help us to hold on to your word and endure in it, bearing fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. And this we ask by the power of your Your son. Amen. Well, uh, today we come to two ends. Uh, We come to the end of this letter. And for that matter, the, the end of our sermon series in Colossians, as you've already heard. But we also come to the end of one of the main sections of this letter. And what Paul has been doing since the beginning of chapter 3 is he's been describing what it looks like to live the new life in Christ. And so to help us think through these verses, I've come up with uh, with three P's. I never do this, but you wouldn't know that about me because I don't preach at night church yet. But three Ps, I'll make all those Anglican ministers who like three uh, letters of alliteration and three points. Prayer, proclamation, partnership. That's what we're going to think about tonight. And my aim is, as we think through these three Ps, is that we'll be challenged but also encouraged to live more for Christ. And given our subject matter of prayer, proclamation and partnership, These things are always a challenge to us. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know these things are hard for us. Us who, chapter 3, verse 10, are being renewed in the image of our Creator. We'll always find these things hard. But at the same time, God wants us to be encouraged. He calls us to live our lives sacrificially for Jesus. He calls us to live His way, which is the best way. And really, this is what Paul has been doing since the beginning of of chapter 3. He's been instructing the Colossians to live out their new life in Christ. He's been challenging and encouraging the Colossians to be who they are in Christ. So what he's been saying is, you've been raised with Christ and you belong to Christ, so live out that new life in Christ. That's been Paul's point since chapter 3. And the last of Paul's instructions come here in verses 2 to 6 of chapter 4, and there are two final instructions that he gives the Colossians, and the first one is there in verse 2, so make sure you've got your Bible there, chapter 4, verse 2, that you're flying blind without it, so make sure it's open. So the first of Paul's final instructions to the Colossians is verse 2, he says to them, devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in prayer with thanksgiving. So Paul is saying, to be a person who is living that new life in Christ is to be a person devoted to prayer. It's to be a person who is persistent in prayer and who continues steadfastly in prayer. You see, God's command is not pray on occasion. It's not when it comes to mind or when you happen to think about it, well then pray. No, the command is be devoted to prayer. That's what Christians do. And we don't know, as Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, what they were like in their prayer habits, as as he wrote to them. Uh, Overall, Paul is very positive towards the Colossians. He's praised them many times throughout this letter. And at the very least, Epaphras, who was one of them and who was from Colossae, he prayed, chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Just have a look, verse 12 of chapter 4, he contended and struggled in prayer. He was a Colossian. So I suspect Paul's words here, they were an encouragement to the Colossians. Basically, he was saying, keep being devoted. Keep going in your prayer lives. But at the same time, this same letter was read out to the Laodiceans. If you see that there in chapter 4, verse 16. And the church of the Laodiceans, that is that lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3 that is about to be spat out. Spat out because they're lukewarm. I very much doubt that these Laodiceans, as they read Paul's words here, and God's commands here, that they were devoted to prayer. And in Revelation 3, the Laodiceans, this is what they say about themselves. They say of themselves, I'm rich. I've become wealthy and I need nothing. You see, to be prayerless is really to say, I don't need you, God. That's what it is to be prayerless. And Demas, who Paul mentions in verse 14 of chapter 4, so just look at verse 14 of chapter 4. uh, Demas, uh, at this point, he's with Paul and he greets the Colossians and all his world with Paul and Demas. But by the time Paul writes one of his final letters, uh, the the letter of 2 Timothy, Demas has deserted Paul. Why? Well, 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul tells us Demas deserted him because he loved the present world. You see, he was Demas with Paul, and yet here he is in 2 Timothy, and he's deserted Paul. He didn't live the new life in Christ. Demas was not devoted to prayer, being watchful and alert in prayer. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, devote yourselves to prayer. It is so important. You cannot live the new life in Christ if you do not pray. You see, what chance would the Colossians have in chapter 3 verse 9 of putting off all those things we thought about at the beginning of chapter 3 to put off uh, the old self with all its evils if they did not pray, asking for God's help? And what chance would we have, chapter 4 verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and loved, of putting on love and forgiving one another and bearing with one another if we do not pray, asking for God's help? You see, you cannot live the new life in Christ if you do not pray. And brothers and sisters, it is our great joy and privilege to pray. You see, we get to speak and talk to the Creator of all things and call Him Father and ask Him to do that work in us that He promises to do of renewing us to make us more like Jesus, His Son. And we get to do this whenever we want. You see, that, that's actually what it is to be devoted and persistent and alert and watchful in prayer. So in verse 2, when Paul says in verse 2, stay alert in prayer, he's not talking about those prayer meetings where people start snoring during a prayer meeting. He's not talking about that time, you know, at the end of a prayer meeting where everyone's been together praying for a little while and everyone kind of raises their heads and they open their eyes and they're all rubbing their eyes like this because they fell asleep. And we all, they all think that they got away with it because they didn't snore. But no, we know you fell asleep. No, to stay alert is to remember the times we are in. You see, Peter uses the same word in his letter when he says, Be alert. Why? Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. You see, stay alert in prayer. Staying alert in prayer is to be constantly in prayer through your life. It's when you are tempted not to put off anger and wrath and malice and slander, will you pray? When you want to put on love, will you ask God to help you? It's about the relationships we have that Paul spoke about, the passage we looked at last week, with wives and husbands and children and fathers and slaves and masters. In all our relationships, we pray, asking for God's help. And I tell you what, I've got four kids, seven and under, And uh, when some of you guys become parents, you know you'll need to ask God for help uh, in those situations. Ironically, uh, sometimes I'm sitting in my study early in the morning, uh, reading my Bible and trying to pray, and the kids are just going wild downstairs. It's like a stampede. Uh, We've got an old section of our house near the front and the floorboards, they just kind of drone throughout the house. And at that point, I want to become a roaring lion and devour the animals downstairs. I'm boiling. And so I pray for patience, for God's help, to be alert. You see, what a joy it is to ask for God's help. And when we do, and when he changes us, and when, as we bring our requests to God and the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as Paul promises in Philippians 4, well, then we are thankful. We, we pray with thanksgiving because we can call God Father and bring our requests to Him. So brothers and sisters in Christ, be devoted to prayer. And at this point, it's, it's really easy for us to feel guilty about our prayer lives. Uh, My my personal prayer habits, uh, they're not horrible, but they can definitely be better. But this week, as I've prepared to preach this passage, I can't count how many times I've prayed throughout the day, more than I usually would, praying about all sorts of things, because from this passage, I've been reminded and rebuked and encouraged by God's Word. And Paul, he's not saying you need to wake up at 3 a.m. every day and pray for the first three hours of your day, otherwise you're not devoted to prayer. No, that's not what he's saying. It's an attitude of mind. It's to set your mind on things above, like the beginning of chapter 3. And so I want us to be both encouraged and challenged by God's command here. You see... How many words do we speak to others about our favorite sports and our favorite TV shows? How many words do we tap away on the screens of our phones to other people? How many words do we type in emails to clients, to bosses, to colleagues, to friends, to managers, and yet how many words do we speak to God in prayer? There's a rebuke here. God doesn't give us his command in his word here to be indifferent to what he says. I remember one time when I was at Bible college of all places that my prayer habits were horrible. They were woeful. Uh, But I read God's word and as I read it, I was rebuked. And for some of us today, our prayer must begin with a prayer of confession. Our prayer must begin asking for God's forgiveness for our lack of prayer. And praise God that he does forgive. And praise God that he will help us in living the new life in Christ. And maybe you're someone here who's never really prayed to God before. If that is you, pray to him. Ask him to reveal himself to you. To help you understand that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins and rose again as king. Pray that you would rightly recognize Jesus as Lord and submit to him as king. But God's word doesn't simply rebuke and leave us in guilt and despair, it also encourages us. And so brothers and sisters, remember what a privilege it is to pray, to pray for one another, to be a church as we are, devoted to prayer, to have our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying for our non-Christian friends and family that they might be saved. What a privilege. Uh, One of my fondest memories of our church here, and, and if I'm honest, I think just in general, is is a prayer meeting that we had that day that baby Finn was born. Uh, Some of you might not know uh, Finn more. Uh, He's, is he five? Someone help me. Is he five or six? He's something like that. Seven. Seven. There you go. Wow. Seven. It was about 2012. I should have done the math and and worked backwards. Uh, But he was born in 2012. And what we did as a church is some of us gathered in a small hall to have a prayer meeting the morning he was born. And throughout that morning from about 6am, dozens of people came in before work, before school, before uni to pray for baby Finn that he might arrive safely because he was a high-risk birth. And he did arrive safely, which we praise God for. But we also prayed on that day that he would know Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And if you know Finn, he loves Jesus. He praise God for this little man, Finn, who is our brother in Christ. One of my fondest memories of this church. Actually, as I prepared this sermon and thought of of Finn, I couldn't help but remember my own little daughter, uh, Evelyn. She is for today. And some of you might remember, because again, our church prayed for her, but she was a high-risk birth as well. And she had open heart surgery at about two days old. And my wife and I were massively thankful for our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ here who prayed for us, who prayed for her, that she might be born safely four years ago today what a privilege you see god gives us his command to be devoted to prayer to steady us once more in the joy of praying so brothers and sisters be devoted to prayer set aside the time to pray if you aren't doing that at the moment write down now on your outline write it down now when are you going to commit to pray Write down a time in your day that you're going to give in prayer to God and pray throughout the day, being alert and watchful in it. And we don't have time to think through exactly uh, what kind of things we should prioritise as we pray, because it does raise the question, what should we pray for? But I'll encourage you to listen back to the talks we did on on chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, because Paul there gives us a model of prayer and the priority of our praying. But we get an idea of what Paul thought was most important here in verse 3. So have a look, verse 3. Paul asked to Colossians, verse 3, he says, Pray also for us. Uh, and us there being Paul and Timothy and the others in the, in the partnership of the gospel, he says, Pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the message to speak the message uh, the mystery of the Messiah for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. And when you just reflect on that for a moment, that is incredible what Paul asks for. You see, what do you think we would ask for in prayer if we were in prison like Paul was at this time? You see, our prayer would be, pray that I might be released from prison. Our prayer would be, pray that the door may be open, not to the message, but to my prison cell so I can get out. But that's not what Paul asks for. He wants prayer for more opportunity to proclaim the message about Jesus, to preach Jesus as the Messiah, as God's promised King. And the crazy thing is, Paul wants prayer for the very thing that got him thrown into prison in the first place. You see, he's in prison for proclaiming the message about Jesus. And instead of asking to be released, he just asks for more boldness, as if he wasn't bold enough, regardless of whether it got him thrown in prison. Now, does that make Paul a madman? Is he just some crazy guy and he's just out of his mind? Well, no. He is a man who understood the importance of the gospel, the importance of proclaiming Jesus to our world. And what he asks the Colossians to pray for him, it leads naturally into what Paul says next, into the next command, the next instruction. So our second P, proclamation. You see, Paul... He doesn't want the Colossians to pray only that he might have the opportunity to share the gospel. Paul also wants the Colossians to take their own opportunities to, pray the, to, to share the gospel. So have a look at verse 5. This is Paul's command, the last of his commands in this section. And he instructs the Colossians, verse 5, he says, Act widely, wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And notice right from the beginning there, Paul has no issues calling people outsiders. See, there are only two groups. There are the insiders and there are the outsiders. There are those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. Or to put it back into the words of chapter 1 of Colossians, there are those who are in the domain of darkness the outsiders, and there are those who are in the kingdom of God's Son, the insiders. And I know it's not politically correct to say that, but the Bible is unapologetic about it. There are only two types of people. Which is why Paul goes on to tell the Colossians to make the most of the time. You see, now is the time for the outsider to become the insider. Now is a time for the Colossians to take every opportunity to share Jesus with people. Or the way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Now is a time of salvation. And so as the Colossians related to those around them, they needed to stand out as different. Their speech was to be salty and distinct. They were to be ready to talk about why it is they were different as those living for Jesus. And this wouldn't have been easy for the Colossians. I think we we forget this often. You see, the Colossian church was made up of some people who were of a Jewish background. And because they were of a Jewish background, when they became Christians, well, they lost family and they lost friends and they lost their networks and potentially lost their jobs as they left the synagogue and all the the, uh, opportunities that brought for them. And there were others who were part of the church in Colossae who were from a pagan background. And it was much the same for them. They would have turned their back on the religion of their family and their friends and of their own town. They would no longer have been part of the idol worship of the local temple. And they would have lost all the connections and opportunities that that network brought. You see, sometimes people say it's harder and harder to live now as a Christian in the 21st century in an increasingly pagan world, but it's always been hard. You see, Christians have always been told to stand out. We've always been different to the culture around us because the culture is not Christian. It's what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, to be salt and light and a city on a hill is to be distinct. It's to stand out. It's to be different. Why? So that people might glorify God. You see, this is what we must understand. And this is what Paul wanted the Colossians to understand and to continue living out. Now that the King has come, now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and now that we, his people, belong to the risen Christ and have been raised with him, well, we live for Jesus. That's what the Christian does. They live for Jesus. That is what our life is about. And part of living for Jesus is glorifying God by making him known to the outsider. You see, Paul does not say, act wisely towards the outsider so that they might like you. Jesus doesn't say, be salt, light in a city on a hill so that people might invite you to their parties. No, it's about them glorifying God. It's about us living for Jesus so that they might know Jesus. This is what I find really hard with my non Christian family. Uh, They all think that that my wife Emily and I uh, do this full time ministry thing because we like it. Um, I mean, there are bits we do like and we do enjoy, Uh, there are other bits I'd rather not talk about. But I, I didn't quit my job because I wanted to do something I liked. I quit my job because now is the time of salvation. I quit my job because I thought that the best way for me and my wife Emily to make the most of our time and to glorify God in the way that he has made us and wired us is by me becoming a church pastor. And Emily and I, we have to keep telling our family, no, we're not doing this because it makes us happy, because it fulfills us, because we, we like it. No, we want people to know about Jesus. We want you, our family, to know about Jesus. And this will look different for each one of us here. You see, how we act wisely towards outsiders and how we make the most of the time and how we use our speech in a way that is distinctively Christian, that all depends on where God has put you and how God has wired and gifted you as you. But you need to be ready to answer each person. See, one of the things we've been thinking about uh, during our evangelism course this term is how God is sovereign in where he has placed each one of us. So if it's in a corporate office, well then act wisely towards the the outsider, making the most of the time. If it's on a job site somewhere, act wisely, making the most of the time. If it's at school or university or even as a parent at the school gates. Well, then let your speech always be gracious. So just, just ponder this for a moment. You might be the only Christian in that place the office, the job site, your school, university, your lecture. Why do you think God has put you there? If there's a group of you who are Christians in that place, why do you think God has put you at a group as a group there? You see, what God is doing now, doing today, is saving people in Jesus. And God uses us, his people, to do that as we speak Jesus to the outsider. And the moment God has finished saving the people he has chosen to save, well, then Jesus will come back. You see, Paul got this. That's why he didn't care about prison. The gospel was more important. And he wanted the Colossians to get it. And brothers and sisters, God wants us to get this. You see, we are all full-time ministers of the gospel. We are all in full-time ministry. If you want to know what your job description is, it's not primarily lawyer or teacher or carpenter or student or even a parent or grandparent. It's minister of the gospel. It's messenger of God. That is what we are in Jesus. That is what your friends and your family and your colleagues need more than anything else from you. It's your ministry in the gospel to them. And if you are an outsider, and I don't use that in a derogatory sense, if you are outside of Jesus and not yet a follower of Jesus, well then, now is a day of salvation. And if that is you, God in his sovereignty has put you here in our building Amongst his people. And so why don't you stop being an outsider and come into the kingdom of God? See, Jesus offers you forgiveness. Jesus is this world's rightful king. Our rightful king. If that is you, do not leave tonight before talking to me or someone else about this. But how you can come from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's son whom he loves. But if we want to see what it looks like when a group of people get this, what Paul's been talking about so far, when they get the priority of the gospel and living for Jesus and making him known, well, we only need to look to the end of this letter, which is our third P, partnership. And we won't have time to look at this in great detail, but what I want us to see very briefly is the partnership that these people at the end of Colossians, at the end of the letter here, had in the gospel. You see, Paul wasn't a one-man band. Uh, He had a bunch of like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ who laboured alongside him in the gospel. Uh, These people were like Tychicus in verse 7, who was a fellow slave in the Lord. Uh, They were like Onesimus in verse 9, who is a faithful and dearly loved brother. Or like Aristarchus in verse 10, who was himself a fellow prisoner with Paul. You see, that is how the gospel spreads. Christians partner together in the gospel. And we we looked at Epaphras in week one of our Colossians series, but just have a look again at, at how much of an example and a witness he is for us. So verse 12, have a look. Verse 12, Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for you Colossians, and for those in Laodicea, and for those in Heropolis. You see, Epaphras is a person who was devoted to prayer and got the priority of gospel proclamation. Epaphras knew that there was nothing more important than the maturity and assurance in God of those he served. And I hope that we can model this kind of partnership in our church. I hope we at Night Church can model this kind of partnership. And to give us a few quick examples as we finish up, one of the ways I'm hoping we can do that, and I spoke about this at Big Day Out, which most of you were there, is about our new life course that we're starting in term two. And what we want as we start to run these new courses a few times through the year is we want dozens hundreds of people to come and hear and learn about Jesus. But there's only one way that that can happen. Well, actually, there's only two ways. We need two ways for this to happen. One is that we as a church are praying for the outsider, praying for the lost, our friends and family who do not know Jesus. And two, it is that we as a church, as a congregation here, are proclaiming and evangelizing. You see, a course like this only works if our church is already praying and already sharing Jesus with people. And what we want is for you guys to bring your friends and family along so that we can help you in sharing the gospel with them. That's what we want. Uh, The second way uh, we can partner together in the gospel is by training and sending people out to other places. And in God's kindness, uh, there there are many people who have grown up in this church and have been trained and matured in this church, and have have ended up in all sorts of places proclaiming the gospel. And sometimes it's as simple as as people just moving to another suburb. So you might remember a few years ago, a bunch of people uh, left us and went to Leppington uh, to help plant a church there, and God is doing amazing things there for the gospel. And sometimes it's through our MTS program where we invest in the young people of our church and then we send them off to more college and who knows what God will do with them after that. And it's also in the student ministers who come here. I hope you've noticed that there's a lot of student ministers who are part of our church here. Uh, And uh, you might not realize this, but you as a church, you actually play a key part in training the student uh, student ministers. Uh, I was a student here and I was very grateful that when I was here as a student that this church cared for me and my family and that they trained me and matured me in Christ's likeness It's a great joy and it's a great task of the church to be training the student ministers themselves. And just as a warning, sometimes they come back, so you want to make sure you train them well. But lastly, we partner in the gospel as we support our overseas missionaries, as we pray for them, as we Skype with them, as we support them financially. And we have lots of missionaries overseas that we support and pray for. And I want to praise God that we do do these things as a church. It's great. I think this is an encouragement for us. Keep going. Keep partnering in the gospel in these ways. Well, there you have it. That is the letter to the Colossians. Uh, Please do yourself a favor. This week sometime, write down a time now if you need to, but sometime this week, read again the letter to the Colossians from the beginning to the end. It won't take you long. Do it in one sitting. It'll take you about 30 minutes or so. And after you've read it, pray. Pray that God might help you as you walk in Christ. And pray that as you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, that you would live that new life in him more and more. How about I pray that now? Well, Heavenly Father, we give you great joy that the gospel has come to us. And Father, as we've heard about Jesus, we've received him as Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to continue to walk in him more and more. And we pray that you help us to be devoted to prayer, to be a church that proclaims the gospel, bringing you glory as we make Christ known to this world. And Father, that we'd be people who partner in the gospel, seeking to share Jesus with our world. And we ask for your help by your spirit and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.